Hello and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by Inform Millennial and Gen Xer Types from a left-wing perspective. Saturday, May 19th, 2018. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. We have a very special guest with us today. Sandy is here, our good friend. Hey. And she's going to talk about some stuff with us. And uh, yeah, here we are in the world today. There was a royal wedding this morning. Um, I couldn't care about anything less. I, me neither. Um, you couldn't pass to watch it, but apparently some cool things happened. There's a very good cellist, and this preacher from Chicago gave a good sermon about inclusivity and la la la. Yeah. Okay, moving past that. I, I well, there there is something I want to say about that, which okay. is just like the the black women in my life were kind of excited that the first uh, the princess, I guess, um, is a royal is uh, half black. Yes. And she's faced some pretty severe, um, gross online racism, essentially. Yes, as um, is, happens anytime a person of color enters into the domain of whiteness. Yeah. Whether it's in entertainment or celebrity. Being a royal, or, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. But whatever. they were kind of excited about it. and Good. And that, so the, no one was getting up to watch it, but... I don't know anything about Meghan Markle. I couldn't pick her out in a movie. I don't know. I, she she I does music. I, I seriously, I'm so I don't know. out of tune with pop culture. I don't know who she is. I don't know either, uh, like her background, other than that she. Um, there was all this like gross bullshit swirling around her about like how she wanted to become a royal because she, you know, like, you know, gold digger stuff. But she like had her own money because she was already famous. Right, I didn't know right. that because I don't know. Um, I don't I don't know exactly what she does. But anyway. And they did say the same thing about Diana, especially in the British tabloids. Right. To be fair. But right. It's the it's we still have crowns and monarchies in the year 2018. It's all very silly to me. So I don't. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'm know. Not waste no. too much time over that. No. Um, Sandy, any opinions on the royal wedding? <laughs> I, I mean, did you DVD it? <laughs> no, I want to see. I saw some people's reactions. That folks are reacting to the reactions of all the royals with the preacher from Chicago, and so I'm interested in seeing that. I just want to see a bunch of like royal people feeling shocked and amazed at yeah. someone asking. Okay, so moving on from the royal wedding, uh, what do you want to talk about? Well, uh, there were uh, new revelations brought this week, more about uh, some Trump-Russia stuff, and then it just it broke a couple days ago, and then this morning that also the uh, there was another meeting at Trump Tower with more foreign nationals that promised some sort of help for the Trump campaign. And uh, of course, there, a few days ago, the revelations were that there was a an informant uh, that was talking to people linked to the Trump campaign and informing on them to the FBI because they were trying to collude with foreign governments to help them win an election, which is, of course, very illegal and the FBI would care <laughs> very deeply about, <laughs> among other things. And they, the Trump and his people and Giuliani tried to spin it. It's like, oh, the Obama administration sent in a spy, and the spy was embedded and tried to entrap us, and blah, blah. And of course, the media picked that up and ran with it because that's amazing clickbait. So, but that's not what happened. Right. So what? Okay. So what happened was what that there was someone working in the Trump campaign who. 
remember Papadopoulos and George Nader were running all over the world basically trying to solicit bribes like help us help us win this election and you know you will be rewarded whether it's the Qataris or the Saudis or obviously the Russians and and Eric Prince was in on it because he's like, well, you know, get my private army in there and we'll do good things for you and we'll quash Iran and all these other – all this other horrible crap. And like they were mouthy about it. They weren't slick about it. Secret agent spy Papadopoulos was getting drunk in Australia and talking about how <laughs> oh, the future Trump administration was for sale. No, I'm not exaggerating. This is how he got pinched. No, I mean, I think, too, there's an important thing that maybe the media, right, and folks aren't thinking about, which is the difference between informants and infiltrators. Exactly. But talk about that. Yeah, yeah, talk you? about that. Well, I think, right, informants are people within right a space who are within that space because that's where they ended up because they probably wanted to be there right and for one reason or another start informing the state mm-hmm. as opposed to infiltrators which the fbi is also really good at oh yeah um, right which is someone that is purposefully planted within a space what's clear to is inform that, the state right mm-hmm. now, to, can i give an aside example yes uh, the last few days when i was in miami they found these very, these like mentally disturbed, very poor uh, people in the in like the the most the poorest part of the city, and came to them. The FBI did this with, the, and I think DHS on this harebrained scheme that well, you guys can like be killers for Al Qaeda or something, and and here's some money, and the guy, oh, okay, whatever. And then they, they turned around and announced that it was a big terrorist bust when these guys had absolutely no means to do anything. Right. And and you can probably talk to how the FBI does, does that sometimes. They invent these things out of whole cloth, sometimes with these infiltration schemes, which is ironically what the Trump people are trying to frame this as now. Right. And I think I, what I love is how somehow the Trump people and the media, everybody feels like very shocked and upset that the FBI would ever use an informant <laughs> or an infiltrator when the reality of what right communities that are focused on liberation or just really equality have have seen throughout the history of the fucking FBI. But, um, but what, that's what they do. That's what they do. That's what they that's do. That's what they do. The FBI right. like sees a thing happening and they let it roll out, right? They just let it roll out instead of doing anything to stop it. What I think is very interesting and not saying that anything was purposefully done here, but that the news reports are saying that this person started acting as an informant approximately six weeks before the date of the indictment against Papadopoulos. Um, Mm -hmm. And so to me, that reeks of this person was right beginning to then gather that the people that typically you see the FBI informants, law enforcement informants talking to first are the people who have the least amount of qualm about talking about things like getting drunk in Australia and running your mouth <laughs> yes. about how important you are because right. like that's also DC culture, right? Like I'm the assistant to the undersecretary of like, yeah, I'm so you know, important. Deputy, I have all this influence, mm-hmm. you know, bl- blow me. Right. Basically. And so mm-hmm. you start with the low, the people who are lower down. There are more of them. Mm-hmm. They're wanting to climb up and they are going to give people information. Carter Page, George uh-huh. Papadopoulos, probably some other idiots. And, and Manafort's his own thing because Manafort has had his own scam run, running with uh, autocrats in, in Russia and Ukraine for decades. I'm just I'm very amused. 
Well, yeah. I, can we talk about that? Can, let's, let's go aside and talk about. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit, but Sandy, you can expand on it a little better. Uh, let me just say that Sandy works in the justice system. Can can we say that? Yeah, you can say I'm a She's lawyer. She's a lawyer. Okay, Sandy's a lawyer. <laughs> Don't hold it against me. Who has who has worked on a lot of civil rights stuff? <clears throat> mm-hmm. So that this is her. Like you might be thinking, like, well, who's this chick that's saying all these things? Okay, well, she she knows her stuff. So I want to talk about the FISA courts <laughs> because I it's it's just amazing to me. Like all of a sudden, conservatives are learning what the FISA court is and how it works. <laughs> They're so horrified with the They're privacy. They're so horrified with, with how it the works. The privacy. The implications. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. We've been talking about oh, this yeah. since the Patriot Act. We've been yelling about this for And the, the creation of the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah, that that's what this is, guys. Yeah. It's and awful, isn't it? It's so amusing to me. I'm just, I mean, I'm just greatly amused that, like, this, I think something that folks do is to think, well, we will create this thing to use against our enemies. Right, and And then when it gets turned on them, like, oh, shit. Any state apparatus can be, right? And we rely on things like, oh, expanding executive power under Obama because we like Obama and we Mm want to hang out with him. Well, no, (laughs) you allowed for that to happen. And then Trumputo came in. Like, what did you expect? (laughs) What did you expect? Exactly. Yes. Can I ask you a question, Sandy? Yes. We've been talking a lot on the podcast about this Stormy Daniels thing mm-hmm. and about the NDA she signed. Yes. And I, I, it keeps escaping me the legal dialogue to talk about it. But when you make an unreasonable contract, mm-hmm. when you say it's like a million dollars for every time you say a word. When the settlement itself when the was settlement like settlement $130,000. Yeah. There's legal framework there that says like if it's an unreasonable contract, like if a judge would look at it and say that's not the reasonable. The terms are not reasonable. What no. Can you talk about that a little bit? A little bit. I don't do contract law. I know. Right? So I a little bit. I work for a person that does, but I don't. I just don't know that much. I think the thing... I know is primarily through like fucking with landlords over lease contracts. Yeah. Um, But one thing I do know is you cannot have a court or ask a court to enforce something that is illegal. Right. Mm -hmm. So what a contract like that depends on is the power imbalance Mm -hmm. and is Stormy Daniel being afraid of saying the thing that she thinks she will have to pay for. Mm. The reality of it is a court in looking at, oh, this requires, right, enforcement of like an unlawful provision. And it would require the court to participate in order Uh. to enforce an unlawful provision is where that runs into trouble. Yeah. It also, but to get that far, it has to be somebody saying like, I don't give a fuck what I signed. Mm -hmm. I've learned this is illegal. So take me to court. And that's mm-hmm. where Stormy Daniels where she is. is done. And that's and, where David Avenatti is. Michael Avenatti, oh, yeah. Sorry. And, and yes. they tried to shut her up by enforcing the ridiculous provisions of that NDA. Like, people forget. It was just a few months ago where Cohen and Trump were like, well, now we're suing her for $20 million. And it's like, okay. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, so a couple months ago, I organized a rent strike. In the building that I live in. Nice. And it was because the um, landlord, the shady management company, I think relies on 
tenants just following the lease because we're afraid. Sure. And And renters have so few rights. Yeah. And -hmm. what they rely on is people actually not knowing their rights. And so I'm like, all right, I'll sign in this really illegal contract and let you walk yourself into threatening me with some unlawful shit. And then I will be like, I'm not going to pay you rent. And for that small, and it's the same thing, but on a really, on a bigger national scale, right? It then requires them to sue me in court and open up to the public every unlawful thing that they're doing, which even my shady property management company will not do. Right. <laughs> but Trump <laughs> will. <laughs> Trump and his uh, brain trust uh, oh. crack legal team will do mm-hmm. or try to do because yeah. it works and, and it does intimidate a lot of people. Of course. Yeah. I mean, and he was really successful in doing that. People didn't know their rights and people... Um, tried couldn't to, afford the ongoing yeah, litigation exactly, and exactly the, you know Which this is a is tactic how, of rich assholes is and mobsters that you just, and, yep, you yeah. just use litigation as a financial tool to suppress people that have a legal right to challenge you but they can't afford it because you can afford more lawyers well i think that's where they're going in that <clears throat> cool documentary that we're watching about the, the crazy lady in mm-hmm. erie and the bank robbery because mm-hmm. i think they mentioned a few times like she basically got semi-wealthy on just winning a bunch of lawsuits. Yes. So yes. you can be a professional lawsuit winner if you're soulless and Call know how to... Call those people litigious. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think a lot of lawyers are like that, y'all. Well, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I mean, that's how they win. <laughs> no kidding, Sandy. Lawyers are litigious? Are you sure? You're fucking awful people. You're going no, out of no, limb you're there. The <laughs> um, okay, so... Do we have more to say about this? I don't know. There's a lot to get to as usual, and we won't get to everything. But um, yeah, I, I it, it just really drove me crazy that the media was complicit for a solid 24 to 48 hours in this whole, oh, they implanted a spy. And like, oh, yeah. Like they went along with that stupid narrative. And of course, yeah. no, it, it, somebody was alarmed enough who had good contacts probably with the FBI and the Department of Justice, I think, out based out of England to say, hey, you know, these idiots are running around trying to solicit foreign help in an election that in the part of the Trump campaign. You might want to look into this FBI. And the FBI said, yeah, we do. See what you can get. So, well, OK. And isn't that what the Steele dossier was all about, right? Yes. Was that it's like, oh, you have a private person uncovering evidence of unlawful activity. You don't have to report it. But clearly somebody felt concerned enough. Well, Steele was hired. He was hired to do oppo research. Right. But that's the thing is yeah. that like. But you don't have to report that to anybody. You, you don't. just do the research and then you do whatever you want with that research. And they. Oh, that's what a now Republicans like. Isn't oppo research awful? Isn't it mean? <laughs> like, Isn't it bad? What world do you fucking live in? Uh, but go ahead. With but no, that, right. That like he didn't have to report that. And I think it's the same thing that you see happening. Right. With this informant person is that they didn't have to they probably are a person that did not have to report something but felt compelled for whatever reason whether they got stopped for a DUI and started drunkenly being like I'm just stressed because XYZ PDQ and it got escalated or it's just some really you know interesting soul who felt it necessary to reach out right Yeah. Well, if we want to get into Steele specifically, he does, you know, he has worked for the FBI for a long time. And well, he, that was what was so interesting. He's been a very is, important wasn't asset. Wasn't the Trump administration or or some body of the Department of Justice saying like talking about Michael Steele and saying like he's a very Steele, not Michael Steele. 
Right. Uh, Jesus, how many times are you going to get this wrong? How many times? That would be that would be a neat really twist if but Michael Steele was gathering up our research. Wasn't it somebody was saying like, oh, he he's worked for the agency before and like he's a very yeah, that reliable was on, source. That was on the FISA request yeah. because they keep pointing to that. Yeah. Like, oh, Steele dossier, Steele dossier, Steele dossier. And it's like, yeah, Christopher Steele has been a, a valuable and reliable uh, intelligence asset for many, many for years. For many, for many American years interests. and someone that we have gone to MI6. multiple times. Yeah. So this is not like just some dude from England who's like, oh, Trump likes people pissing on him. <laughs> it's like some guy that's like a pretty reliable source for well, the Department you know, of Justice. So, so I think this is Mueller's influence. So much of this, we're only seeing bits and pieces and tips of icebergs, and then we don't see the full, yeah, you know, breadth of everything. And eventually we will. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people will be slack jawed, like, "Oh my God, I didn't didn't know it was Couldn't so bad." It yeah, was bad. And, and the reporters mm-hmm. will act, you know, just like you know, the surprise party you know is coming, and then you act surprised. Like, mm-hmm. like we're gonna get a lot of that. And and I and again, I do think it's Mueller's influence to try to hold back the meat of this because yes. he is going to unleash this laundry list of crap. Uh, with some God. with some uh, indictments along the way, well, yes. including I'm om- uh, obviously Flynn. Well, Flynn is already I think he's already flipped, but mm-hmm. Jared Kushner will be indicted, and other people surrounding the campaign will be indicted. I think Carter Page is probably going to be indicted at some point. Like this is all coming, and and for some reason we like to pretend it isn't, or this is all going to just going to go away one day, and. And it's not. Well, and it's really interesting to me that Mueller has set up this sort of backup system. Like in the previous um, uh, filing with the court, he made an illegal argument about how if he's fired, there are still legal apparatuses that exist that the yes. investigation will he go set up forward. a doomsday machine. <laughs> Basically. And then also, like, he's involved, like, the, you know, New York... Uh, SDNY. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like he's involving a bunch of different um, agencies to. That's more specific to Cohen and his dalliances, but. But I don't think that that's the end of it. No. Right? I think that, you know, Mueller understands that the rhetoric around his investigation in some way is about overreaching. Mm-hmm. And so when he did the Cohen thing, it was like, look, I'm not going to do this via the Russia investigation because it probably is links to it but it could there could be some argument that it was overreach yeah and so we just went to the southern district of new york and said here's the information that we have and then they made the investigation and arrest that they did um and i think that he's just really smart on that end and understands that like the Saturday Night Massacre could very well come, but that like there's so much going on that he doesn't want that to impede the information no, that he, he already he has. No, he can see five steps ahead. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. And Sandy gave us a, a an interesting profile when we were talking about last night of Mueller, where you have these loud, flamboyant personalities out here just trying to win the news cycle one hour to the next, whether it's Giuliani or Cohen right. or you know, Hannity or whoever. And then you have a silent assassin in Mueller Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who knows the law in and out and is so disciplined. And he's, he's, he's like robotic almost. Yeah. No, not an adversary I want to run into. Yeah. Um, well, no, I mean, I think that the the first things where we're talking about their indictments in California, their indictments in New York, their indictments in Virginia, their indictments in DC, 
And what that means mm-hmm. is that every single one of those offices is now LinkedIn. And so if we think about redundancy and backups, mm-hmm. right, it becomes that this is not hinging directly on Mueller. They get rid of Mueller. They still have the FBI and the U.S. attorney's offices in large places, mm-hmm. right, who have a lot of support that are going to continue this. Even Manafort is facing charges in two states. Yeah, he's in Virginia and in D.C. Yeah, um, and that matters. <laughs> it, it matters a lot. The Eastern District of Virginia um, is the rocket docket. There's a reason they indict all the terrorists there. Mm-hmm. It's the Fourth Circuit, mm-hmm. right? It's not the D.C. Circuit. Mm-hmm. So the judges are much more pro-government in terms of the mm-hmm. prosecution, right? They're much stricter. Um, and it, it moves a lot faster and you have a lot, I think a a lower chance of winning your jurors. If you get tried in the Eastern district of Virginia are coming from Virginia and it doesn't seem like a big difference, but think about like the electoral difference between DC and Virginia. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the way those maps look, Mm -hmm. that's who you're going to get to be your jurors in Virginia versus in DC. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. There's there's definitely a strategy to that, um, and I when the Manafort stuff came out in Virginia, I'm like, oh, dude's fucked. I mean, he is fucked. <laughs> yeah. Because well, he's they, fucked anyway. They have to save a mountain of evidence. Well, he's fucked him. anyway. And then you for five minutes but you had that on. judge that was hold yelling on. about the scope of right special counsel, but so what? Right, and that's the thing is that if you're shifting it to EDVA. And it becomes a typical like wire fraud prosecution. Like they don't, they will go hard. They, the grand jury, like regular grand juries in the Eastern District of Virginia meet every day. So if I have a client in the Eastern District of Virginia who doesn't want to plead and accept 10 years on a stupid Coke thing, they'll be like, okay, well, we'll have a new indictment tomorrow. Right. And we'll have 10 more counts on a new indictment, superseding indictment. See you tomorrow. Right. They can do it. They do. And the judges let them. Wow. Yeah. Because that's what I was going to say. There was that one judge who chided the Mueller team for a minute about overreach or something. And oh, well, they could dismiss the charge. It's like they'll file new charges tomorrow. Yeah, they will. There's a grand jury every day in the Eastern District of Virginia. It's not a special grand jury aimed at Trump or Manafort. It's just now they have all the evidence. So give it to the regular U.S. attorney, they get the indictment from a regular grand jury and you're not in special counsel executive overreach land. You're in like, you're just a white collar criminal getting fucked by the stuff that you did. By the Eastern District of Virginia. Well, I'm glad you're here, Sandy. (laughs) So now we're going to dive into the weeds for everybody. Wow. Tell us about grand juries. Oh, because gr- the, the term <laughs> the term grand jury is going to come up a lot and our friends hear that, but they don't really know what it means. Right. Um, and we're going to be hearing a lot more of it as the Mueller investigation we may be gets, about, gets to like, the charging phase and the potential Trump interview phase and all that. So give let's give the audience a little primer on grand juries. OK, grand juries. I mean, I. Um, so I, I guess for the audience, I have represented grand jury resistors. It's typically a thing that happens <laughs> with leftists. Is like grand jury resistors. So when Don Junior, <laughs> when Don Junior gives you a call, are you gonna are you gonna step in and? I uh, no. I think I'm gonna have a. a I'm just gonna be busy. I'm <laughs> You're gonna, gonna be, be busy. Really busy. I'm gonna be getting my hair done. Yeah. But let's um, talk about both grand juries and why we would want to be a grand jury resistor and what those things might mean. Well, just, 
Right. And so I think, you know, the purpose, sort of the original intent behind grand juries was to prevent prosecutorial overreach um, Mm -hmm. and prosecutors just deciding, you know, to bring whatever willy nilly charge. Um, So you just bring in like regular folks. Right. And present them with evidence and say, do you think there's enough evidence to make to right. charge someone with something. Right. A probable right? cause. Right. And the rules of evidence don't apply. So hearsay rules, right, um, that this was illegally obtained evidence. Usually it's one cop. I've never been in a grand jury, right? This is from what I hear. It's usually one <laughs> officer can testify to hearsay of, like, everybody who's participated in the investigation, mm. right? Um Grand juries have subpoena power so they can bring in witnesses to testify about certain things. Now, if we're thinking about it in terms of, let's say, something that is not super upsetting and inflammatory, like an an embezzlement case, right? That someone was embezzling money from a company. You can bring in other corporate officers and let's say that one of them wants to take the Fifth Amendment. The prosecutor can give them immunity and say, you don't get to take the fifth, so go ahead and tell us everything. There's no judge in a grand jury room. Mm -hmm. Defense attorneys are not allowed in front of the grand jury. It's mm-hmm. you and the prosecutor and whatever that prosecutor wants to ask. That's why Trump's legal team is holding him back and saying, do not fucking sit in front of the grand jury. Don't, don't, don't. because you are you are such a narcissist, you cannot help yourself but talk. And so let's say, hypothetically, the three of us um, have agreed to distribute ice cream. We've agreed to distribute ice cream, but me as like the primary creamer is mm-hmm. the person they're going after. They can bring in Travis and say, you know, were you with Sandy on Friday? And Travis is like, well, yeah. And we had dinner and she was wearing a blue jacket and they just ask about those things and it sounds totally normal. And then they bring in a cop who's like, well, I found a blue jacket at the scene and it was just covered with chocolate chip cookie dough, right? Right. Is the way that like that little web goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing that, Travis has admitted to being associated with me and said, well, we had dinner and Sandy was wearing a blue jacket and Rachel was there and there were like these cats and these dogs. And then it's like, oh, Travis has not only implicated himself in Mm -hmm. a conspiracy to create and distribute ice cream, but also everybody else. Now, let's stop and think about this for a second, because we know Papadopoulos like to get drunk and brag about how he was selling influence. And we know he's flipped. So can you fucking imagine? You you think he really held the line and didn't implicate everybody under the sun? And now Manafort's kid or son-in-law is flipped. Ex-son-in-law, I guess. I don't know. So just think about that for a second. In terms of, (laughs) just I want to stay on grand juries for a minute. Yeah. Because I think it's important when we talk about Black Lives Matter and we talk about uh, over-policing and police brutality and that kind of stuff. Some of the cases came before a grand jury before they ever went to trial. Well, most cases do, right? There are some places that have both grand jury and direct indictment systems, right? That's state by state. Federal grand juries are the way that a felony indictment happens. You'll have a charge, but if it has become to an official indictment on a felony that is going to trial, it will go through a grand jury. There's a saying, grand juries would indict a ham sandwich, right? Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah, if it goes to a grand jury, it's going to be an indictment. Because the grand jury is not convicting (laughs) anyone of anything. 
No. They are only saying it's okay for you to to charge this person with There's this thing. There's probable cause. Yeah. To proceed with a charge. It, right. Yeah. It's like unless a, it's a, a cop. Who a hearing, a sort of like a hearing in regular court. Sort of, but there's no judge, and right. there's no public right to access, and there's... Right. It's just they get to listen to whatever evidence from whomever. And so, can I ask you this question? Mm-hmm. When police officers murder black men in the streets... Yes. And they go before a grand jury... Yes. And the prosecutor presents to the grand jury the evidence of whether or not we should charge this police officer with the murder of this black man who was unarmed... Um, the fact that there's no judge and the fact that we fail to acknowledge that DAs and police officers and police departments and DAs offices and police departments are so closely held, that they are so intertwined, that there really is no way for the prosecutor to be a person who's advocating for yeah, the charge of a, hold on, for the yeah. charge of a police officer, because they work with police officers. Mm-hmm. And so for the prosecutor to be there and for there to be no other person to present evidence to a jury other than a prosecutor against a police officer is really like a... It's massively flawed. A, a, well, yeah. And a conflict. And villainous, really. Like, it, it really is impossible. The reason that... Police officers are not charged when we go before a grand jury is because the only person present is the prosecutor. It's their boss, well, basically. And the prosecutor and the police departments work so closely together. I just wanted to And I think, talk about too, that. like, let's look at Darren Wilson, right? The officer who unequivocally, unquestionably, right, killed Michael Brown. Mm-hmm. Right? In Ferguson, yeah. In Ferguson. That DA, so they, the rule is nobody is allowed. Like, the DA can bring in whomever they want. And what happened with Darren Wilson and what's fucking outrageous is if you and I are under indictment, prosecutor is not going to present exculpatory evidence that maybe shows we're not right. guilty. They're not going to present mitigating evidence that shows <laughs> what we're going through. Right. They're going to present the worst shit that they can through one witness. With Darren Wilson, what they did essentially was hold a trial. But it's a trial the public didn't get access to. So Darren Wilson testified. His lawyer was there. They presented all this exculpatory evidence, all this aggravating evidence about Michael Brown. And then they're like, well, the grand jury did their job and decided. They mm. essentially allowed the grand jury to function to jury. as a trial, but without the public accessing it, without any judge overseeing it. And then the DA can say, grand jury's fault. Your community has spoken. Mm-hmm. Right? When the fix wh- was in. Right. And so, I mean, that's where I think with a lot of like the police shootings, that the grand jury system has essentially, right, they're like, well, you know, the grand jury has lasted for five days of his testimony, but we don't get to see him testify. Mm-hmm. And do you think that prosecutor is fucking cross-examining him no. the way he's going to do you or me or folks in our communities mm-hmm. when they're on trial? Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the prosecutor's job under normal circumstances is to make the case for why this person should be charged. Yes. But when it comes to police shootings, that system really gets flipped on its head. Yes. And the prosecutor's job is to argue for why this person probably shouldn't maybe be charged. Probably kind of maybe shouldn't maybe kind of because they're my buddy. And that's where that system is failing all of us. Yeah. And our communities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got into the weeds on grand juries, but uh, it's important to note that to understand how this stuff works and 
in terms of the Trump Russia investigation or Trump all of the foreign influence it seems now with today's news uh, investigation when Mueller brings these cases to the grand jury oh boy is he going to have a mountain of fucking evidence so is that do you think that was what will happen I mean I think what he's doing is saying I'm investigating like with George Papadopoulos, I think he's probably saying, I'm investigating X. You are not implicated in X. I only want to know about X crime, right? Mm-hmm. Say something else entirely, obstruction. Mm-hmm. George Papadopoulos comes in. Mueller can give him the fifth as far as the obstruction investigation goes. Mm-hmm. These dum dums, I think, are dumb enough that they're not going to try to claim the fifth. They're just going to be like, oh, yeah, I have nothing to hide. And then start talking about all sorts of inculpatory shit mm-hmm. and also essentially narking out their whole stupid crew. <laughs> <laughs> and then they act The surprised. whole stupid crew being the Trump kids. and Right. Just yeah. everybody involved. And then people act surprised and they're like, I got charged? Like, <laughs> yeah, you got charged. Yeah. You went in and you admitted to committing a crime. Multiple, probably, and, crimes. Like, I was given immunity. You were given immunity for obstruction for of justice. For this one thing. For this one thing, yeah. Yes. <clears throat> well, see. we don't know. He could have a half-decent lawyer who says total immunity. And Mueller if, was happy to give Papadopoulos total immunity. That's not the big fish, obviously. Right. But I think most lawyers advocate cooperating with government investigation and with grand juries. Because the Why? reality is, if you refuse to testify before a grand jury you will be given immunity, whether you want it or not. And if you still refuse to testify, you will be incarcerated for the length of that grand jury without a trial because it will not be punitive incarceration. It will just be coercive to get you to talk. And you will be held in administrative segregation in a federal holding facility for as long as you refuse to talk. And notice that's not what happened with Papadopoulos. Oh, no, no, no. So obviously he talking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he's a Greek songbird. (laughs) Like, it's it's so interesting. And Sam Nunberg, the least principled grand jury resistor ever, to be a grand jury Well, that was for a day. That guy's nuts. Can we talk about that for a minute, though? Like, he literally, by that night, he's like, oh, no, no, okay, I guess I'll cooperate. Oh, I can go to jail? Oh, no. He's up there saying every, he's like, I don't have, like, I don't have anything to say because X, Y, Z, all the things that, and in order to resist a grand jury, in order to get out of all of that incarceration, right, you have to prove as the person being incarcerated that you will never talk. Never. <laughs> and all these dum-dums just want to be on the news. It's about power and influence, so they're already talking. So Mueller knows that he can get them to talk, and he can incarcerate them for 18 months. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. If you talk on the news about something and then you refuse to talk about it before a grand jury, that's not resisting, right? Because you've already said the thing. You can resist, right? You can say, well, I'm not ever going to talk to the government. But they could use everything you've said right. on, on TV. They can use everything you said on TV. And they're going to say, judge, this person should be incarcerated. And, you know, like these little dudes after two weeks are going to be like crying. They're going to be like, this isn't fair. <laughs> Well, uh, that's what people don't (laughs) grasp about Giuliani, right? Like, people think every time he goes on the news and and runs his stupid mouth, they're like, oh, wow, that's bad PR. It's like, no, no, this is way worse than bad PR, what he's doing. Right. Because he's essentially giving information to the investigative team. And so if Mueller says, no, this person can talk, they will talk. 
They've they done have it before. Talked. <laughs> they have. We'll just hold them in the brig until they do. No judge is going to be like, you know what? Right. You're print that that person's so principled. They're never going to talk because they already have. Right. So grand jury resisting is a thing I wanted you to talk about. Yes. Because it's not a thing that people really know about. No. But I think it's important. Yes. Okay. I want you to talk about it for a minute. Just explain what it is and why it's important, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Um, I mean, and, and so we're talking We've about... We've just already talked about, like, what... Grand juries. Why they are flawed and what's right. wrong with them. Okay. And grand juries have typically been used as a tool of political repression, mm-hmm. right, against leftists. Because mm-hmm. if we're, say, doing something like distributing ice cream, but there's not really, it just is threatening to, say, like, you know. Ice cream shops. To ice cream shops in the area, um, then there's an interest in cracking into that. Or if it just seems threatening, even if it's not criminal. Mm-hmm. And so the question becomes, well, am I going to go in and say anything to try to say, no, this isn't criminal? Um, Grand jury resistance is typically when people, often anarchists, socialists, leftists, communists, say, I'm not talking. I'm never going to talk. This system, right, is fundamentally flawed. You can never make me talk to you. Um, And involves, as a lawyer advocating to the U.S. attorney, to the judge, that actually this person is never going to cooperate and there's nowhere you can go. Um, and you and know, are they legally obligated to talk? Well, no, but the confinement is coercive, yeah. right? To try right. to make somebody do it. And so what you have with grand jury resistance and the thing that's really important for leftists who are potentially looking at grand juries, and I mean, today, that could be, you know, people who are advocates for gun control, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, to, that we could be getting there. You know, mm-hmm. is the kind of thing that we're talking about, you know, to say, like, I will never talk to you, ever. And to kind of be an asshole. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do. It's hard mm-hmm. to do to say, like, this thing, like, your whole system is fucked. I will never cooperate with you. You're using this to like quash my political activity and eat a dick. Yeah. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And to know that you're looking at incarceration. That's the result of grand jury resistance. 18 months that will not be sort of reviewed by a judge or trial. I mean, a judge will review it, but then you have a lawyer coming in and being like, judge, my client is an anti-authoritarian asshole who will never cooperate with these people. <laughs> That's you. And, I <laughs> and so the coercive nature of the confinement has, is, is not relevant. Therefore, if they're going to it's be confined, punitive. they need to be charged with something. Right. It's just punitive. Like it's this, just punitive. Just you have to sit there till you decide to talk. Right. And so the point with grand jury resistance is for me as a lawyer to have a client who is clearly never, ever going to cooperate. And, you know, it's it's funny because... Do you then compel judges to say this person's never going to cooperate, therefore they should be released? Yes. And do does that ever happen? It does happen. Okay. It does happen. Um, you know, and it's, it's a scary thing to get to that point because you have to have, you know, your client being the kind of person who says, no, fuck it, I will stay in for at least 18 months with never cooperating with these people. Wow. Um, and I think it, it takes a really principled person. So obviously none of the Trumps are ever going to be true grand jury resistors. The principle no. of what? 
protecting the mob boss, which never happens in real life anyway. Right, I mean, look, there are mobsters who right yeah. resist grand the, juries. Yeah, not yes. for long. Mobsters but that's because they don't want to die. Right. It's mobsters and leftists. Right. I mean, who are grand jury resistors, who are grand jury resistors. <laughs> and I can tell you, nobody who's ever represented a grand jury resistor is going to give Trump any fucking help. Right. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> right. OK, so the 18 months, is that arbitrary or is that the limit? That's the length of a typical grand jury. So your regular okay. federal grand jury lasts for 18 months. Now, Mueller has a special grand jury. Special grand juries can last for five years. Um, for mm-hmm. folks who are interested in grand jury resistance um, and lengths of special grand juries, there's a lawyer in New York. His name was Stanley Cohen. Um, and he was a very political lawyer, um, very radical. And there was a five year long grand jury trying to find something on Stanley. And they finally got him on like some tax stuff. And he mm. went to federal prison. And he wow. went to federal prison. And the reality is, is that like, what they were trying to do to Stanley was to break him. Um, and he's, To break him on what? What his clients goal? are. Oh. What he supports, what he does. Oh. You know, I'm, I'm So glad. is this similar to when journalists won't review or reveal their sources? Yes. This is a similar coercive. thing. Yeah. It's a coercive detention mm-hmm. in order to make you want to do the thing that the state wants you to do, even though yeah. you're not legally required to do it. <laughs> well, now, now the FBI is going to have to fight to not reveal their sources. <laughs> we are in a weird place, folks. But I'm really glad you're here, Sandy, because I think it is a stark reminder. We get sucked into the, the Trump-Russia thing, and we want to see them all go down. And then you have the, the quote, liberal talking heads. Like, How dare they impugn the Department of Justice and the FBI? And then we have to be reminded, like, if you care about social justice, if you care about, you know, uh, civil rights, like the FBI and DOJ has not always been our friend, to say the least. And Ever. in many ways still are not our friend, to say the least. And we can't lose sight of that as yes. progressive, Democrat, whatever you want to call yourself on this side of the spectrum. And I think me and you know better. Yes. But I think at large, our movement has to remember. Well, like, we, we don't want to be like the the thing in the wind where whenever yes. somebody disagrees with us politically, we now just we go, love now we FBI. love the FBI and we love we FISA love courts and, FISA. and we love everything. We love the FBI. It, it, it's yeah. exactly. We feel bad for Jeff Sessions. No, no. no. These, His name is Jefferson Beauregard for the love of fucking <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's coming. Before we get to the break, I just want to say, so the quote, quoting, largest conservative summit outside Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. is happening in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was here in Denver. No, it's in Colorado Springs. Oh. It's at the Christian uh, College. What's it? Christian, Colorado no, Christian University. But there's there's a campus, a big one here in Denver. I thought yeah. it was in Denver. Well, we might have to double check that. We might have to double check that. Anyway, it's in Colorado. We should go. Park. And Jeffrey, Wait, we, yeah, oh, we were thinking of all the things we could do. Let's get the Satanists to pour milk over women to protest forced motherhood. Women and in hijabs. Women in hijabs. People speaking Spanish. Let's get some Black Lives Matter people. Let's just get like butch lesbians just holding birth control LeMay. packets and like a mariachi just, bands. I mean, like let's just welcome the them. New York. Let's welcome them to Colorado. Well, we're, we're coming up on the break, it's and uh, uh, yeah, Jeffrey yeah. Beauregard Sessions is the keynote speaker oh. at the event. Oh. In addition to Tom, Ken- Tom, Tancredo. what I call Tancredo. Tom Crazy, Crazy Train, Train Tancredo, um, Corey Gardner, of course, um, Choo Choo, 
Choo-choo. <laughs> so we may have to do a little, dis- we may have to be a little disruptive, folks. Because uh, you don't get to hold the largest conservative summit outside of Washington, D.C. in my state and get away with it. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll be there in some way, shape, or form. Disruptive within the legal limits of, of the course. law. Of and course, of the course. First we would not suggest otherwise. Just no. protesting with our mouths, mouths and faces mm-hmm. and bodies yeah. without any violence or any other, of course. Yeah, of course. So we're coming up on a break. Unfortunately, we have yet another school massacre to discuss. Uh, this one in Ugh. Texas, not far from where both Sandy and I have lived. Um, and our friend Katie currently does. Yep, yep. So uh, we'll get to that. We'll talk about some more stuff. And uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. To Reverend Testimony, Rachel and I with our friend Sandy, Hi. a lawyer, is here with us today <laughs> to talk about all kinds of stuff. We will unfortunately get to the latest school massacre in Texas, although it's kind of like, what do we even say at this point? Thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Thoughts and effing prayers. Uh, but we want to talk about something else first. <laughs> There's this dude, a Canadian psychology professor ah. named Jordan Peterson who has become sort of the hip, cool, punk rock, gross, patriarchy is okay because something... No, not... Let me just clarify that. Patriarchy is normal. It is um, It is uh, biological. Uh-huh. And it is necessary. Yeah, well, but I'm saying like cool because there's this been this push, especially in the last few weeks, of like people like Barry Weiss and these other obnoxious types who are like, we have to stop stifling people with gross ideas, which just means like saying they're full of shit on Twitter. Um, because like, as you read in that, uh, that piece in McSweeney's, like these people still are printed all over the place and wall street mm-hmm. journal and New York times and everywhere mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. as if their speech is being stifled somehow. Mm-hmm. But anyway, somebody did a much better piece in the New York times yesterday on what this guy's really all about and kind of lifted so, the facade and boy was it illuminating it was i uh was at work and uh my 10 stories from the new york times had been depleted so i <laughs> texted uh or i emailed my friend who's in like the research part of my firm because we're not patronizing the new york times no 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 we don't pay them um but I often ask her for like, hey, would you pull this article for me for work stuff? And this one, I was like, hey, when you have a minute, would you mind pulling this article so that I can burn everything down? And she's a comrade. She's my she's my people. And she was like, <laughs> sure. Uh, and then she like sent me a meme of like, uh, you know, burning everything down. And so this article is 
um, I guess it's like a. Well, it's a one-on-one written, interview. Yeah, it's a it's an interview, but it's like a, like a like a written biopic of this fucking guy, and his beliefs are that um, the the pro. So first of all, let me just say this: like the 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 problematic things for me are like he gets eighty thousand dollars a month in donations from people who believe in his cause in the wrong business and people pay him money to have like 45 minute conversations with him online of like um counseling or i don't know if that's what you could call it but like you know being more of a man his opinion essentially from what i understand boils down to the idea that um patriarchy is good and that the reason that men have always been in charge is because men are more competent than women and that society has lost sight of the fact that that's true and that the problems in society that exist today exist because society has lost sight of the fact that men are better than women yeah. and men are more competent than women and and that men should be in charge because it's biological and that um, any attempts at feminism are really an attempt at destroying society because what we're doing is destroying the natural order of the world. Right. Well, it's more than that, right? Remember we read that, what we we laughed at it, that Reddit list, mm-hmm. of, uh, and, and that's mm-hmm. his belief that sexual mm-hmm. inequity yes. is destroying society so because women get to choose what's who they want to have sex really with What's really interesting about this is that he doesn't believe in equality at all. He believes that equality is actually like a, a, a structure of the left that um, degrades society. With the exception, though, his one exception about equality is about sexual equality. Mm-hmm. And so he believes in forced monogamy, which <laughs> okay. means forced monogamy, meaning that women, <clears throat> specifically not men, um, would be state mandated to be in relationship with a man and only one man. He more, and I guess he more implies, LGBT people, I don't really know what happens to the rest of us. I don't know us. either, but he more I don't know implies what happens to me, but, the state-mandated thing rather yeah. than explicitly states it. Yes. You should say that. But forced monogamy is a thing for him. But but it's forced, and forced means what? Forced. Who forces it? Forces <laughs> yeah. it is the state. So the state forces women to be in monogamous relationships with men that they don't care to actually be in relationship with. For the good with. of society? Yes, something? because he's like, equality is a toxic idea because it should be about um, merit, right? Well, his, his theory is this, right? His theory is that, or his hypothesis is that women, when given full sexual agency, will only have sex with a select group of men and that leaves the rest of the men feeling worthless and not able to propagate and some other bullshit. 50% of men won't be able to propagate and that's a problem. And it also, he, he would like to point out, makes women miserable because when men have sexual access to lots of women, they tend not to, um, Settle down. Commit. Right. And that makes women miserable, so it's really serving both genders. (laughs) So, Sandy. (laughs) Do you have any thoughts on this? Let's talk. Many. (laughs) Wow. 
I have yeah. lots of. I mean, it's this so, is in the like New Yorker. New might York surprise time. you, but this is a white guy. I, oh, I am, <laughs> you know, I, this time I'm not surprised. He's, I, a, he's a Canadian though, so there's that. I the, and a? he's still a settler colonist. Um, oh, and certainly. The, <laughs> you know, it. So here's the thing: is that like I think in some ways he's right. Right. Men are more adept at women in exercising political violence for repression. And that has been the way of things for a very long time. And so. Sure. Right. For the wrong reasons, then. Is the, that no, no, no. I'm, right. I'm saying like in some ways he is correct. And that if his worldview is such that like men, white men specifically have a right to exercise violence and for the state to exercise violence on their behalf, in order to Mm -hmm. exploit whatever resource they want, whether it is money or your pussy, then, yeah. Well, can I I expand on Mm -hmm. that? Because I'm glad you you say that, because that's from the point of view of, well, this is how things work well. And when people like the Trump voters and old white people and our parents and grandparents say the good old days, like they're talking about days that were good for them. Yeah. Uh, like he specifically brings up the 1950s and 60s as do, the time yeah. when things were of the na- he calls it the natural order. Right. He hates contraception. We should bring that up. Yeah. I mean, but <laughs> he brings up the 50s and 60s as a natural order when women were in their right place and men were in their right place, and, and that there was segregation. And the fact and... that we have stro like gone away from that, he feels is why society is collapsing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, continue, Sandy. Uh, just that I think that, like, <laughs> if, and it, it's just white supremacy run rampant, right? The natural order of things is for white men to have access right. to anyone and anything that they desire. Right, exactly. And so, if that's the natural order of things, mm-hmm. then, you know, I, then I think that he's, you know, correct in requiring the repression yes so he has this idea that like like men are agents of what is it what does he call it baby do you remember no men are agents of control and women are agents of chaos Chaos, right something like that so his book is called like (laughs) fighting chaos issues with women i'm not sure i don't know maybe Maybe. he doesn't like women that much no so his book is called his book is called like fighting against chaos but chaos for him is women. And he goes back to like all these like biblical and theological and like mythical um, stories. And he's like, see, it's always been this way. Mm-hmm. It's right, always it, been that women are right. described this and, way. And then his defenders are like, oh, so you take it to literally. It's all theoretical. It's all, you know, symbolic is what he's, he's not literally saying that there should be forced monogamy. He's just saying that's what happens naturally when things go right. And he's not literally saying women cause chaos. He just says, if this... No, and then you listen to him in this article say... No, I totally... And he's like, with the witches. So, Sandy, I think you and I would be very clearly classified as witches Mm -hmm. um, for this man. Um, he's, He's sort of word salading. Like, if he was on the street, I would classify him as like, oh, that guy's probably schizophrenic because he's saying things that don't make any sense. He's definitely off. Yeah. But he, but he's he's talking about how like, oh no, witches definitely exist. 
they definitely exist and they exist among us and you just have to see them for what they are. And it's like when people say dragons don't exist. (laughs) Of course dragons exist, but dragons are just agents of control. But then there's witches, which are all around us, and there's witches. And I'm like, what is he going on about? Like, and, and I don't can, understand what but he's you saying see, But right you now. see the appeal, right? If you are a nerdy incel who doesn't relate and doesn't understand why you can't get laid and why you're not popular, and he's talking in these grandiose, fluffy terms and incorporating mythology and all this. And history. Yeah. And then and you're like, oh, yeah, no, that this is validating and this makes mm-hmm. sense. and. It's like mm-hmm. you see the appeal to horrible, gross people. Um, and I mean, witches, right? The idea of witches, you know, came from, right, liberated women who yes. did not yes. want to be participating in society the way, like, puritanical society wanted women to participate, wanted women to be present. Which none of those people were actually very puritanical when it came down to it. They just had to keep up the facade. Right. It's about power and control. So of course, like anybody who resists that is going to be a witch, Witch, like, I guess we're witches. I think that it might be true. But it's the interesting. (laughs) When you, uh, even when I was like reading the handmaid's tale, like everybody, like, well, I don't know how everybody feels, but the people that I've talked to about it are like, sympathizing with Offred and I'm like oh no I'm her mom I'm I'm an an, a non-woman what do they call them an unwoman an unwoman Mm -hmm. I would definitely be a non-woman definitely right like Mm -hmm. there's no space for me to be like yes use my body to fertilize yourself and make more like no I would be an unwoman for sure yeah and in this man's brain I'm an I'm a witch you're a witch and in Mike Pence's brain, you're not even. Human. I'm not even human. Right, right. Like I'm the wor- I'm the worst thing that's ever happened to him. If he ever met me, I feel like he he might catch on fire. Because well, you should just... meet him I, again. <laughs> well, he certainly can't dine alone with you. But I mean, no, that's, of course not. But that's the scary part is that we laugh about this, but in you know inevitably, like we're all pushing to get Trump, you know, impeached and out of here. But then. <laughs> We have President Pence, which is even scarier in a sense, especially because we don't we're not sure what the makeup of Congress is going to look like. We don't know. We talk about this blue wave, but that blue wave depends on everybody voting. We don't know what things are going to look like. We just know it's fairly inevitable that sometime before 2020, President Pence is probably going to get sworn in. Yeah. Um, And. Then what's that going to look like? Does Jordan Peterson then become like his in his cabinet? I mean, seriously, like his chief of staff or somebody like that, you know, and and then then, yeah, then then we're not laughing about it. Then it's real. No, it's already real. Yeah, it is already real. But it's something that you and I were talking about yesterday, Trav, about how I've said that, like, my house words, if I were to live in. Game of Thrones would be elections have consequences. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's my house words. And yesterday broke you. Yeah, yesterday was a tough day for a lot of reasons that I most of them I haven't and, even gotten into yet. And whether you believe in electoral politics or not, elections have consequences. And what we are seeing right now is the consequence of the 2016 election. 
And the consequence of that election is that a bunch of fascists got elected. And a lot of things are breaking down, and a lot of society is breaking down, and a lot of um, our cultural norms are breaking down, and a lot of things that we believed were things that we all held, kind of at least the majority of us, to be true, um, are being fundamentally dismantled. And that includes birth control and health care and Planned Parenthood and Mike Pence wants to shock the fucking gay out of me and um, immigrants and families being ripped apart and sex trafficking and all of the things that matter to those of us who are probably listening to this uh, broadcast. All of those things um, are being ripped apart because elections have consequences. Well, should I just read my tweets? And whether or not you agree with Susan Sarandon and whether or not you agree that Trump has been really great for the movement. Um, the actual reality of our life is that that elections have consequences and that these people are in control right now and they get to do things. And we don't get to do anything about it because we're not in control. And we don't have any control because they have both houses of Senate and the White House. Both houses of Congress, rather. And so, um, yeah, Travis, uh, I think I think that you most succinctly just bore it out yesterday. So. Yeah, well, I was kind of uh, it kind of broke me. So I had a little, little <clears throat> ranty tweet storm, and I said, uh, and this was especially in light of we've seen this flood of again, just like we need to reach out and understand middle American white voters, and we can't suppress the alt right racist Nazi people, and and I was like, you know what, nah, nah I'm done. And I said, sorry, but I'm just kind of done. I don't want to reach out or to empathize with or understand busybody white suburbanites who call the cops on brown people trying to live in the world. I just want to get more votes from our side and defeat them. I don't want to reach out to or empathize with gun huggers who keep telling me we need to keep piling up dead kids' bodies on the blood-soaked altar of the Second Amendment, or worse, the faction of those people who think FEMA at all are going to kick down their door and take their guns and end up inspiring lunatics like the Las Vegas shooter. I just want to mobilize more votes on our side and defeat them. I don't want to reach out to or empathize with incels, alt-right man babies, Jordan Peterson sycophants, Barry Weiss's drinking buddies, or people who want to shock the gay out of my LGBTQ loved ones and take away women's reproductive rights. I just want to mobilize enough people to vote the opposite of them. I don't want to reach out to or empathize with people who want to privatize my dad's VA benefits or Medicare or Social Security, although he will keep gleefully voting for it to happen. I just want to mobilize enough people on our side to keep my dad's coverage from getting shitty or disappearing in spite of himself. I don't want to reach out to or empathize with people who think the sea level is rising because rocks are falling into it, think it's okay to slash CDC funding while people are still dying from Ebola, or want kids' textbooks, in charter schools only, of course, to tell them the earth is 5,000 year olds or only 5,000 years old or slavery wasn't that bad. I just want to mobilize more votes on our side and defeat them. And last but not least, I don't want to empathize with or reach out to people who say they believe like me, but will vote for fascism or abstain from voting and pave the way for fascism because they didn't get their way and they have a hard-on for the party system when there's a clear alternative to the nightmare we're currently trapped in. I don't have the time or energy to explain why their privilege is getting real people killed, families ripped apart, and lives ruined. Be part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Finn, hashtag drink up. And that was kind of my rant yesterday. And yeah, the, the last part there, fine. If, if, if you, you don't have to vote 
And if you don't want to vote as a Democrat or don't want to vote and be part of the two-party system, you better fucking be doing something. You, whether that's uh, civil disobedience or donating your time or your energy to stopping or fighting fascists and helping people who need it, fine. Yeah, I, let me qualify the last part again. You, you don't want to vote or you don't want to vote Democrat, or you don't want to participate in the two-party system, you better fucking be doing something. I'm going to disagree with you on that. No. I'm sorry, but elections have fucking consequences. And we are seeing the consequences of the 2016 election currently. We are seeing what happens when people abstain. They just... But her emails, and there's a lady, and she's so shrill, <laughs> and there was this black guy, so any white guy is better, right? The best black guy and the worst white guy have to be on the same thing, because white supremacy. So no, you do have to vote. You do. Okay. And you have to vote Democrat, because this is the alternative. Because right now... When you see these things happening and you feel the way that you felt yesterday, Mm -hmm. the reason that that is allowed to happen is because we hold no power, right? Yeah. Well, let let me clarify, right? I obviously believe the best way to actually change the system is to be on the non-fascist side and be in a position of power and from a position of power to push that party to do the things and in the direction we need it to go. I do think that is the best way to do it. People may disagree. And what I'm saying is, look, there there are people out there we will never, ever convince to participate in the two-party system. We just, we won't, we can try, but they, they, you better be affecting change in some capacity, is what I would say. I know. I <clears throat> am frustrated because I understand that the party system is flawed and I understand that it is ineffective and that it is not ideal. At the same time, it is the political system that we are stuck with at the moment. And so I think we should all be doing things to dismantle that. But while we are in the system that we are in, it doesn't make any sense to disavow yourself of that system and let fascists just run the government, as we have seen, right? Right. So even if you are opposed to, like, I was hanging out with a friend of mine on Thursday, and she has um, disavowed herself from the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And she's an independent voter now. And she doesn't want to be a part of the process because she thinks it's flawed. Okay. And she thinks that party politics suck. And she's a very, like, she's very, um, I would say... Uh, about as connected to Colorado politics as I am. Okay. And she has she has unaffiliated herself right from Democratic Party politics and from party politics in general because she thinks that they are flawed and that money and Citizens United and all of the things right. <clears throat> and so we had about a three hour conversation about that. And about how that's fine, you can be unaffiliated all you want, but at the end of the day, you are going to vote and you're going to vote Democrat. That's what you're going to do because 
you can make a protest about party politics and about money and politics and about the way that politics functions and about gerrymandering and you can do all of that right you can make that protest and at the end of the day you have to do what is the best for the most and the best for the most is voting for the d on the ballot even if you don't like that person and even if you hate party politics because the alternative is what we're living through right now and the alternative is What you're doing, if you don't vote that way, or you don't vote at all, is privilege. Is saying, hey, this doesn't affect me, so I get to be a bratty baby and not vote because I'm mad. But what it does in actuality and in reality is hurt people that maybe aren't you. And maybe there are immigrants that are being torn from their families and children who are being going across the border and being torn from their families and there's 1,500 of them missing. Maybe it's electing, you know, horrible attorneys general who don't want to fight the Trump administration and and don't, you know, affect law enforcement. And there's there's so many things that may not affect you. But not voting or voting the wrong way. And what what I mean by that is not voting Democrat, because that's really the reality. Like, you may hate the Democratic Party, and that's okay with me. But you have to vote that way. Because voting that way means that you give a shit about people that aren't you. I do have to laugh at somebody disavowing the Democratic Party because of Citizens United, as if it was justices appointed by Democratic presidents who brought a Citizens United for fuck's sake, that's hilarious. It's not about but that for I, her. I, I know, I know. I know <clears throat> it's complicated but. for her, but she hates that money is in politics and her family's <laughs> been in politics for a long time, so she has a she she has clear ideas about why she doesn't want to be affiliated. Mm-hmm. But the white privilege is just so astounding. Well, it, it usually, it often does. It's not about that. you right now. Yeah. And when we try to assert our white privilege by saying I'm protest voting something or I'm not going to vote... What that is is saying, I don't give a shit about anybody that doesn't look like me, and I don't give a shit about anything that doesn't affect me. And what really you should be doing is, <clears throat> I get this argument of like, I want to vote for the, per- I don't want to vote for the, the lesser of two evils. I've been hearing this my whole fucking life. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case. One party wants to do what they're doing now, and one party wants to not do that. And even if you don't agree with them, even if you don't agree with the Democratic Party on some principles or on money or on institutional support or whatever it is, elections have fucking consequences. And when you don't vote or you vote for somebody other than what than the Democratic Party at the moment, you are voting for people's lives to be ripped apart and people to be killed and people... For, for things to be awful. Well, at this point, it's just, it's like, you don't have to like the Democratic Party at all. It's like, it's basically a buffer against full-on fascism. Yes. Well, can I, can I say yes, a couple things? Sorry, I just like... No, 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 it's okay. And I think, um, you know, both of you and I have talked about voting and elections, and, you know, both of you know that my primary interest is not in electoral politics. Yes. Um, and... 
the thing. Hers is in like direct political action. Right. Yes. But that being said, I think voting, we have to look at it. Even people who think that electoral politics are crap mm-hmm. and the party system is crap need to understand that voting is fucking harm reduction. At Right? Even if you are the most cynical person in the world, right, let's think about this like dental care. You cannot aspire to have like perfectly straight teeth and like the brightest smile and be like, but I'm not brushing my teeth. <laughs> right? <laughs> like it, your teeth are going to fall out of your mouth. It's going to rot. Mm-hmm. Like this is a basic way to engage with your community. And I think that for that reason, voting is important. Like it is basic harm reduction. Something mm-hmm. that I see as being problematic is when people think that voting is the only method of civic engagement is, that is required, right, yes. or necessary in right. order to affect change in our communities. Um, because that, right? It's well, like and you, that's the reason people don't vote is they think the only way that they can affect change in their community is by voting, and they feel like their vote doesn't count. Right. And and that's not or true. Or they're voting for the lesser of two evils, and there's so much money, and it's all corrupt anyway, blah, 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 blah. Well, right. And I mean, so Chomsky wrote this thing about lesser evil voting, right? And I think that it, it takes into consideration sort of like the, right, the nuances of lesser evil voting. I was registered in Texas for fucking years, and knowing that I was registered in Texas... Right. I voted in Republican primaries all the time. I, you know, organized so that we could elect this fucking crazy woman to the Railroad Commission because it sort of shut it down. Right. And it's like the the lesser evil voting. I think the calculus comes in when we live in a place like Colorado Mm -hmm. or Virginia. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, I don't care, actually, how evil you think Hillary is when it's a national right race Mm -hmm. that's where it becomes like yet i do have an expectation that you will engage in the lesser evil when i'm in the middle of fucking texas right yeah then it's a different calculation but i think that that also requires work right it requires us to be aware you know and that's hard and then that is again i think the way that engagement has to be more than like going to the ballot box once every two years or four years. But we can't even get people Colorado, to do that. And in Colorado, we send you the ballot. Right. You get oh, it in yes. the mail. Oh, so you don't nice. even have to go. That's so nice. Yeah. So nice. <laughs> well, so but that's the thing, right? I mean, our generation here and younger is overwhelmingly done like what's going on, which is great, but the, our participation rate is still horrifically low. I, so we, I hope we have to, to see, start I there. hope to see that change. I think it's going to. Whether it's going to change enough, we'll know soon. We'll know by November. We'll know in November. But, you know, assuming everything isn't already fucking hacked and God knows what. Right. Uh, that's a good talk. Um, uh, but I we'll, think that you're right about that. That, like, there, voting is not enough civic engagement, right? Everyone should do that. Mm-hmm. But there's more things to do. Lots more. What do you think people should do? That, and if what you do you care think enough. people can do? Well, I mean, look, I think I really believe in the power of, of community, yeah. right? And in the power of communities to engage in self determinative action. Like, if we have to wait for 
two years to know that somebody's going to get medical care, they could possibly die, right? But can we come together and crowdfund a thing? I hate that that's a thing, right? But it is, I think, an example mm -hmm. of the power of communities to help one another, right? And so it's everybody here, everybody listening has a skill that their neighbor doesn't have, right? right. Everybody here knows someone that is more vulnerable than them in a certain way, yeah. right? I'm a lawyer. I know most of the people I know are more vulnerable than me when it comes to engaging with the courts and the police, right? And so the basic thing that I can do is to offer that skill, knowing that like that doesn't mean I'm an expert in whatever skills or knowledge everybody else has. And I think that's what, right, mutual aid right and yeah. strengthening community is about so that when right. it comes time to but say like if you needed like your lawn mowed right or like your toilet fixed you're right. a lawyer right so you I would need someone else in your community to help you with that because right. you might not know how to do that and that i think is is the thing right right talk to your neighbors like yeah, talk funny. to people. Remember we talked to Ours are Matthew. My, <laughs> my neighbors hate me. It's my business partner. He used that exact same example. Like mm -hmm. he has a generator and his old neighbor is on oxygen, but they don't know because they never talk. And then there was a flood. And right, exactly. yeah. right. Yeah. It's and about. So, can I tell the story about you talking to your client? Oh, sure. But I mean, I think that I just want because what you said was because Sandy was the person we talked about the mugging and all the things. Sandy was the person that was with me, and she was talking to one of her clients later, and he was talking about, like, how sad it made him. Mm -hmm. And what you said to him was that what you thought would be the best thing that he could do to come out of that with that feeling that he had was to build communities. Mm -hmm. And to when he went back into his community, to be able to to talk to the young people in his community who may have been similarly situationed that he was and to make them feel like they could still be that machismo, that whatever man, that gangster, that whatever, but without hurting people. Right. Right? And that is, I think, where right we go right and so i mean that the thing is like well what do we do how do we fix that well we we don't we can't build a house in one day rome wasn't burned in a day right right, right. um but to to say okay like you need your lawn mode or you need this generator when it comes time for something like say an election mm -hmm. right you going door to door is not going to be like well who the hell is this person it's going to be right. like we already have a connection and a mm. conversation going about what's important to us, what's important to you versus mm. what's important to me. How does that work, mm -hmm. right? It makes getting out the vote not just like knocking on tons of random people's doors, but about, okay, we already know one another, we're connected to one another, and this is just another thing that we are doing to express that. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Okay, yeah. uh, we're almost out of time. We do have to talk a little Lovely. bit about the latest school shooting. Uh, you probably sure you know by now, Santa Fe, Texas, young guy, 17 years old, grabbed his father's guns. I think it was, for the first time, it was not an AR-15. No, it was. It was. A, no, I thought it was a shotgun. Yeah, he had both. 
He had both. Okay. AR-15 shotgun and pipe bombs. Great. I thought he had a handgun, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In any event, uh, he went and shot up school, killed at least 10, at least 10 more seriously injured. He was under arrest, managed to survive that miraculously. He's white. And he's a white kid, yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, just like Nicholas Cruz, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in any event, we're, I'm seeing some of the crap already coming out about he wore a trench coat, and some people say he was bullied, and maybe that was true. I'm not sure, but just want to again warn that 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 was the prevailing wisdom with the Columbine killers was that they were bullied and, and picked on, and it, it was not it's true not at true. all. It's not true. So you know, what, he also what, had, um, from what I read, um, he was a white supremacist. He had a bunch of um, insignias. He did this like YouTube post about like his like I don't know hoodie or jacket or something that he was wearing, and he had all of these like yeah, buttons and insignias, and, and there was like all like of these yeah. iron crosses and swastikas and things that um, he explained away. Right, and in he was a, like, big into music that's big with mm-hmm. the alt right and the mm-hmm. neo Nazis mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of those kind of markers, and um, you know his dad had a bunch of guns that were obviously he could access very easily. Well, he did. And here we go again, and uh, same crap. Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott are on microphones in their face talking about thoughts and prayers. It's like I don't, yeah. Like, I was at work yesterday, and it was on the computer or the TV in the break room, and one of my like what my other coworkers would call my Marxist friend. Um, <laughs> just like, you know, a person like me, uh, who works with me, just, I was like making iced tea and he walked in and he just goes, Hey, Rach, thoughts and prayers. And I was like, thoughts and prayers. And that's all we had to say because there's nothing left. There's nothing else to say. This is okay. We have decided this is okay. Well, you We've had, decided um... this is fine. You had Dan, Dan Patrick, who I think is the state's AG, saying that, oh, well, the problem is too many entrances and too exits. Too many entrances and exits, If we had yes. just one entrance just and exit one. for 1,500 kids. Then we would have a fire and everyone would die. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, good uh-huh. luck with the fire code uh-huh. and that. But it's uh-huh. like they'll, they'll look for anything, but... Literally the, anything I can blame it on except the fact that the fucking kid had an AR-15. They're even circling a background to video games in heavy metal. Hmm. Like, oh, they're so. circling back to that. Like, uh, we, and you know what though, just to pivot to politics, some politics are finally unabashedly just straight up. Yeah. I'm for gun control. Fuck the NRA. And I'm not talking about local, you know, municipal races. Like we have candidates for governor here. That's correct. Who are launching big, big campaigns saying fuck the NRA. All right. So in Colorado, for example, we have, oh, wow. Three (laughs) interesting on the TV. We have three candidates for governor, all of whom are kind of great. Mike Johnston, Kerry Kennedy, and Jared Polis. Jared Polis is the big name, right? He ran out of the federal Congress, uh, CD6. um, He's the gay pot guy from Denver. That's what we call him. Yeah, right? his latest ad though shows him like playing softball and football in the park. Yeah, he's They're hanging to out with up. his. He's hanging. No, he's hanging out with his kid, and his kid's talking about education, and he's I'm, hanging I'm, out with his kid and his I'm husband. I'm telling you, I just saw a commercial where he's like playing football and baseball and being a guy's guy. Oh, They're God's trying to sake. butch him up. Oh my God! I just saw it like an hour ago. Oh my God! Okay, well, Jared Polis <laughs> also has just a shitload of money. 
He comes from tech and he has a bunch of money. Carrie yeah. Kennedy is a woman. Her last name's Kennedy. Yep. Yeah. Doesn't carry <laughs> as much weight in these parts. She was the state treasurer. Uh, she's doing very well. The third guy is Mike Johnston. Kind of unknown. Yeah. And but he is full on. I kind of love him. He by is the way. full on, full on gun control. That's his. That is what he's running on right now is gun control. And and, and look, when he was, hold on. Yeah. When he was a state senator, he was one of the people that was principally responsible for passing the gun control laws that we have so that resulted in the recall. So this isn't a new thing for him. No. So, but talk about how. That's ballsy here in Colorado. It's not quite Texas in terms of the gun love, but it's close. So back in post the Aurora shooting, right? Everyone remembers what we talk about as the Aurora shooting. People probably worldwide talk about it as the the Batman shooting, the Mm -hmm. movie theater shooting where like the first or second or I don't remember which Batman movie it was. This guy came into a theater of people in our hometown, literally like about five miles away. And shot up a bunch of people. And then he was arrested and he's been tried and he's been convicted and whatever. Um, Post that happening, um, the Colorado State Legislature passed a couple of laws that uh, banned some some gun control laws, essentially. Yeah, it was. Um, There were bans on buying ammunition online. There mm -hmm. were, I think, ammunition Mm -hmm. limits. Limits There were a few things. Yeah, limits on um, uh, the number of bullets you can have yeah. in a thing i can't remember what you call that but anyway some there were some gun control laws that were passed in the colorado state legislature and there was a big uh backlash to that so mm-hmm. mike johnston at the time was a state senator a colorado state senator and he was Im- Im- he implemented some of these laws like he was like you know really important to them passing they passed and then the the gun people got crazy and recalled. Yeah, the NRA to, swooped in, mm-hmm. as did sp- dark money groups, yep. and a bunch of these. Um, and they, they did a recall election recall. for two people out of Pueblo and Colorado Springs and mm-hmm. successfully recalled two state lawmakers who voted for this law uh, post the Aurora shooting. Now, they wound up being awful garbage people and then losing, I think. It doesn't matter, yeah. right? Colorado's mm-hmm. a complicated state. We're purple. 30-30-30, as we say. Democrat, 30% Republican, 30% Independent. And we are a state, we're the Wild West, if you will, right? Like we value our independence, but we also value guns. But the point is you now have people running for high office, even in places like Colorado, who are... No, Mike Johnston is running specifically on his record on guns and specifically on more gun control. But it's not just Banning AR-15s, banning bump stocks, like universal background checks like he's running on that it's not just it's not just him there's democratic candidates all over the country that are trying this and we're not going to know how it's going to play out until november but they're they're, they they sense the wind is shifting finally on this and we know it's been shifting in florida because even the fucking florida Florida state legislature passed 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 gun control laws which is fucking crazy yeah that's crazy and, and the governor governor rick scott signed them signed it so that's big. We're just about out of time. Closing thoughts, guys. Anything? Sandy. Oh, I mean, we could talk forever about the history of the Second Amendment as a tool of colonization. Um, I recommend that everybody, in thinking about gun control, read Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz's newest book. 
about the Second Amendment and thinking where that comes from. What is it called? Do you know? I don't remember. remember. Okay. Well, you'll be back with us to discuss that. Roxanne in depth. Dunbar Ortiz. Dunbar Ortiz. Yeah. Okay. Um, Everybody because, read that. Right. It's such a sticky issue. It's a ball of yarn. Mm-hmm. Right? How do we mm-hmm. untangle it? It really is. And then we'll have to get into the mm-hmm. Black Panthers and Ronald Reagan and all that good stuff and mm-hmm. the genesis of <laughs> the gun Why? control movement and how it flipped on its head. And it's interesting and it's complicated, as most things are. But Sandy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Please y'all. come so back. So lovely to have you. Please come back. We love your insights and love hearing your point of view. So stay active, stay tuned, stay involved. Find us on Twitter at Irreverent Duo, irreverenttestimony at gmail.com. Listen to us on Radio Public because we get like a couple cents per download, so we'll be rich. <laughs> um, and uh, yay for the royal wedding, I guess. Now I just want to watch the South care. Park episode about the Canadian one. <laughs> all um, right. We love active, you stay all. Stay we'll see you soon. Adios. Bye. <laughs>